the world, identity is everything. Uh, you know, this is my clique, or this is my crew, or this is my gang, or this is my hood, or this is my family. Even this is my brand. And this is the brand that I wear. And that's how I find my identity. I remember I learned early on when I was playing in travel team basketball that, if, uh, that you did not wear Adidas and Nike at the same time. You just didn't mix those. And if you were sponsored by, uh, by Adidas, you better wear all Adidas. You know, from your socks to your jerseys to your shoes. But how about this? How about my sports team? This is my sports team. Now, have you ever wondered, and obviously this is magnified exponentially on a professional level, why people don't like associating with teams that lose? They don't like being involved with or close to or connected to the team that's always losing because they feel that it's a reflection on them. I mean, could you imagine? You say, I root for this team and they're 0 and 800 or whatever it might be. You don't want to be connected to that team. And so that's why last year they started rooting for the Golden State Warriors and not the Los Angeles Lakers. And then at the end of the finals, they became Cleveland Cavs fans. Uh, It's because they want to be connected to something that wins. It's identity. And the individual finds value and glories in his accomplishments. What I can do and what I have, as I mentioned, accomplished. The individual finds their self-worth and their identity in how they perform. And, And if you think about it, you know, if I'm a businessman, if I do well in my business, then I feel good about myself. And if I do not, then I don't feel good about myself. And if I'm not mistaken, and I don't think I am, every job in this world is performance-based. You perform, good job. You don't perform, you have no job. If you perform poorly, then you deserve to feel poorly. If you perform well, then you deserve to feel great. It's all performance-based. And so we, we find our identity in what we do and what we do well. So we need to ask the question then, how does the Christian, and this is a part of our series identity as we're looking at this church in Corinth, where does the Christian find their value and find their identity? Well, if you're taking notes, and you'll see this on the archive video pop up on your screen, point number one today is it's not about your ability. It's not about your ability. I might even go as far as to say that it's not performance-based. It's not performance-based. Now, you may have gotten picked last behind the kid that was legally blind in dodgeball. That doesn't matter to the Lord. You may have struggled in school. You may not have been considered the sharpest tool in the shed. You may have just been considered a tool. I don't know. That doesn't matter to the Lord. That doesn't matter to the Lord. Now, all joking aside, sometimes, often, we have a problem in comparing ourselves to other people. Comparing us to them. Comparison absolutely destroys our contentment. Absolutely. If you find yourself comparing yourself to somebody else or something else, your contentment goes out the window. It's very difficult though, especially today with all the social media outlets, to not subconsciously think that your life is not that great. Because your life is really hard and Instagram's news feeds are really awesome. The highlight reels of people's lives. 
Please understand, social media posts are the highlight reel. And then you can start looking at all these things that other people are doing. And then you see these pictures of couples and the, you know how in love they are and all of these things. And you don't realize that they're actually struggling on the brink of being separated. But here they are posting these pictures and you're going, how come I don't have that? Or you see this amazing event that somebody's attended in this concert. And all, how come I'm not doing that? I just had to sit at home last night. Even with that understanding, though, and realizing that that is the highlight reel of people's lives, it's hard not to see other people and what they're doing and what you're not doing and feel discouraged. That's why Paul says here in verse 26, as we get into our text this morning, he says, brethren, see your calling. (laughs) If we even just chopped it right there, brethren, see your calling. He's pointing out their calling. Because earlier in chapter 1, he says, Paul, an apostle, called. He's talking about his calling. But now he's saying, let's look at you. And so often in the church, we can look at somebody else's calling and say, man, that's what I want to do. How come they get to do that and I don't get to do that? In verse 26, it says, For see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Now, You might think, if you're really looking at this verse carefully this morning, how is that encouraging? Didn't he just say, let's look at how you're called because you're not wise according to the flesh and you're not mighty according to the flesh and you're not noble? Listen, you were called because you're not wise, not mighty, and not noble. You might think, thanks a lot. Uh, I think, thank you. If we would expound this verse, we could say, not many wise in their own estimation, not many mighty in themselves, not many considered noble by the world, heed the call to follow Jesus. But the remarkable thing that takes place every single day in the lives of the members of the church is the wisdom of God working through His people, the strength and might of God working and empowering through the power of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, talk about nobility. He says not many noble are called, but look at what it says in John 1, verses 12 through 13. John wrote and said, but as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He's like, you might have been born on the wrong side of the tracks, and you may not be noble as far as the world is concerned, but you're called a son or daughter of Almighty God, the everlasting King, the King above all kings. So church, all of us included in this, need to spend more time viewing our calling and fulfilling our role in the body of Christ as opposed to looking at what somebody else is doing. Why can't I do that? Why why can't I do this? Let's spend less time viewing others' callings and comparing ourselves with them. Paul says, look at your calling. See your calling. See what God's called you to do and created you to do. Because honestly... I've, I've done that very thing where I've looked at different things over the years and been like, wow, how come they get to do that? And how come I'm having to deal with this? And like I mentioned, it's easy to fall into that because we see things happening all the time and things are thrown into our faces. We need to look at our calling. For see your calling, brethren, verse 26, not many wise according to the flesh. 
Not many mighty, not many mobile, uh, noble are called. Some people uh, mistakenly think, and this is on both ends of the spectrum, that God is only interested in the wise and the mighty and the noble. You know, I say both ends of the spectrum because those that don't consider themselves wise or mighty or noble feel ostracized from God's calling because if you're real with yourself and you see your flaws and your mistakes, your weaknesses, your failures, you'll be like, I don't even understand how God would even be interested in using me. I don't, I I, I seriously, I'm not the wisest and I'm not the strongest and I'm probably not the best person for this. I'm not the most qualified. But then those that do consider themselves wise and mighty and noble, they even feel thus, because I'm wise and I'm mighty and I'm noble, God would be extremely unwise in not using me in a powerful way. They ostracize themselves from being used by God. Thinking that I am the most capable. See, they're strong in their own efforts. And they might look at, hey, I'm successful here and I can do that there. But that is not the criteria for being used by God. That's not the criteria to be called into the service of the Lord. Because it's not performance based. Remember, point number one was it's not about your ability. Which leads us to point number two this morning. It's all about God's ability. I might even say parenthetically here, if we can italicize this, I would say instead of it being performance-based, it's performance-abased. Meaning that you get to the end of yourself and your abilities and you finally realize that it's going to take a lot more than what you have to offer. Many times, the Lord will allow us to get to a point where we are abased where we are humbled, where we see very, very clearly how incapable we are of doing what we need to do. So often we can have the systems. Oh, I got the system down. I know how to work this system. Hey, I'm a veteran. I understand. I've been at this for years and years and years. I know how to handle the things I need to handle. And we can be confident in and of ourselves, but the Lord will bring us to a place where we fully understand God's power and God's ability and our lack thereof. And we get to the end of ourselves, the end of the rope. We're at the, you know, the edge of the cliff, so to speak, when we realize I need strength more than what I can conjure up in myself. It says in verse 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. In verse 28, it says, And the base things of the world, there's that word, and the lowly base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. In James chapter 4, verse 6, it says, He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God takes the foolish and he makes them wise. I don't know if you know who Mike McIntosh is. Mike McIntosh is one of like the, the original gangster, so to speak, guys of the Calvary Chapel movement. And he pastored Horizon Christian Fellowship in San Diego. And he had done so much acid in the hippie days that he thought the backside of his head was gone and he was a complete nut. And he came to know the Lord and the Lord completely healed him. 
And he became a prolific teacher and evangelist and communicator. Taking the foolish things of the world and making them wise. God takes the weak and he makes them strong. God takes the despised and the unpopular and the outcast and uses them in ways that are mind-boggling. The last people on the earth. And so if you're here today and you're saying, man, I'm probably the last person on earth that God would ever use. Let me tell you, you're probably in the number one slot, like right there for God to use you. When you're saying, I don't know what I can, I can bring to the table, Lord. I don't know what I have to offer. So often we think that God's interested in our performance. But if I could just tell you something simply that's been spoken of for years and years and years is God has not called you to performance. God has called you to obedience. You obey the Lord and He does the performing. You humble yourself before the Lord and then the Lord does the work. He has not called you to perform. He's called you to obey. Do you obey God? He does the performing. Now, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 8, Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, he gave a little background to who he was. He was a very, very highly esteemed man in the Pharisaical school of thought, in that branch of Judaism. He was the cream of the crop. But in verses 4 through 8, he says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. He says, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted for loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. This was the man that had everything. This was the man that had the power. He had the position. He had the popularity. Every accomplishment that Paul could personally boast about Even the very things that he found his status in and identity in. Prior to Jesus, Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. How powerful is that? Where does personal pride go when you read certain things like this from the Bible giving us direction and instruction? Personal pride goes out the window. In Matthew 23, verses 12, uh, actually just verse 12, and I'm reading this from the old King James Version, it says this, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. So if you feel as if God maybe has allowed certain things in your life that are difficult or they're hard or they're, they're quite frankly, they're humbling. Man, this is very humbling because I have seen how I am not capable. If you're experiencing those kind of things, might I just say rejoice in that. 
You might say, well, why would I do that? That's nonsensical. Well, if you are a follower of Jesus and the Lord is allowing these things to happen happen in your life and then you feel like this is beyond me, I can't do this, you are in a great place because where you end, God begins. His power is not limited by our inabilities. Him using us is not based upon our performance, but rather the lack thereof, the abasement of who we think we are. Because... The Lord's hand is upon us. He gives grace to the humble. That's what we want to be receiving. And if you've made foolish mistakes, which we all have, if you've cracked under pressure, if you feel like I don't have a lot to offer to the Lord, good. Good. Again, in verse 27, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen that the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. And you might think, well, why does God do this? This seems just so counterintuitive. It just seems so opposite of what the world says, that you need to be able to do all of these things in your own efforts in order to be successful. Well, Isaiah 55, verse 8, it says, For the Lord speaking, says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And in verse 29, if you look at that next verse that we're Studying this morning, it says that no flesh should glory in his presence. That no flesh, no person, no individual with their individual accomplishments can boast in the sight of God. In Isaiah 42, verse 8, the Lord speaks and says, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. I will not give it to another. And when we come to that place as Christians, which I hope all of us can today, when we come to that place as followers of Jesus where we realize that it is nothing that we did or can do, but it's rather all that God has done, He receives all the glory. And we cry out and we say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for saving me, for forgiving me, for helping me, for empowering me, for for washing me and purifying me and enabling me. Thank you, Lord, though I may have blown it and made mistakes and have lived with guilt and regret that I'm made new in Christ. And now the Lord receives all the glory for what He alone can do. Because we in ourselves, it's natural. We want the glory for ourselves. But it's glory that belongs to somebody else. It belongs to God alone. So when we do something good and they oh, you're so awesome. You're so amazing. And you're just like, yeah, tell me more. I like you. What's your name? Or whatever it might be. And, and we receive the glory from what we did. And we realize, hopefully, soon, that that glory doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. Because there go I, but by the grace of God, I should have been dead and separated from the Lord by my sins. And now look what He's blessed me with. Look what He's enabled me to do. All the glory goes to the Lord. In Philippians 4, verses 12 through 13, Paul wrote and said, I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's it. That's the key. 
I can be at a low spot, and that's an accomplishment. That is an accomplishment to be at a low place because there even the Lord sustains me. It's just not an accomplishment to achieve something because even there the Lord is still sustaining you. It's both ends of the spectrum. I can do all things with the strength of Christ working through me. I can do nothing apart from Him. Now we'll get to this in our last study in house groups. Uh, where we're now looking through the I am statements where uh, the Lord says in John 15 verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. And in the Greek language, that word for nothing means nothing. Means you can do zippo, zero. Apart from me, he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you're plugged into me. I'm where your life source comes from, I'm your sustenance, I'm your strength. Break the branch off from the vine, it withers and dies. Without me, you can do nothing. And when we come to that place where we realize, Lord, this is beyond me. Lord, I'm not capable. Lord, this needs to be your strength and it needs to give you all the glory. Then we find ourselves in a place where the Lord does exceedingly and abundantly, above and beyond anything we could ever ask for, think of. So Paul said that not many wise and not many mighty are called. If you think about this, honestly, intellectually, If we were truly wise, we'd realize that we don't know anything at all, especially in relation to the the amount of knowledge that we have in this world, and obviously nothing compared to the omniscient, all-knowing God. If we were truly strong, we'd recognize our weaknesses, because the person that is truly weak is the person that says, I don't have any weaknesses, and they're blinded to their own vulnerabilities. See, the person that's strong realizes, hey, I need help and this is an area of weakness and so I call out to the Lord and I am saved. And so as we're trekking along here, if it's not about our ability, which was point number one, but it's all about God's ability, point number two, that leads us to our third and final point this morning is that it's all about God's glory. In verse 30 it says, but of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. If you don't know this name, you need to familiarize yourself with it. Oswald Chambers said, and I quote, sin is a fundamental relationship. It's not wrongdoing, but wrong being. It's a deliberate and determined independence from God. End of quote. See, we have all inherited sin. We have all inherited not the wrongdoing, but the wrong being from which all the wrongdoing comes. Sinful nature. Jesus bore the cumulative sin of all the world. Jesus' actions epitomized the wisdom of God's plan for salvation, solving the huge problem, which was this. How can man be forgiven of their sin? This is a massive problem. Mankind can't even touch the issue of sin. Man cannot redeem himself from the enslavement to sin. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For He made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
Jesus, who was perfect, didn't just take the, 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 the effects of sin, but he took sin itself. The wrong being, the sinful nature. See, I sin because I am a sinner. That's what I do. I am born with a sinful nature. And you've heard me talk about this a lot over the years, but, but you that have young kids, you understand that. You know, we don't have to be taught to take something that's not ours. We don't have to be taught to say no when our parents say do this. We're naturally good at sinning. We don't have to train our children to be sinners. They do that all on their own. We train them to make right decisions. We correct them to help them go on the right track. You don't go on the right track by yourself. And it says in verse 30 again, but of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Let's look at that first word we see here, what we became, or rather what Jesus, who became for us wisdom. In Jesus, you became the wisdom of God. Do you understand what what that means? Like you became the wisdom of God. That means that God calling you to follow him was not a mistake. It means that you're demonstrating the wisdom of God's decision to call you to follow Jesus. Some of you may think that God may, may have made a mistake with you. And you will, by God's grace, prove to be a wise choice by the Lord. It's all because of Jesus. The wisdom of God shown in your life. Hey, I, I chose Richard, the Lord says. I chose Ryan. I chose Elizabeth. I chose Gail. And you see them following the Lord. And you think, that was a good choice. Some of you might think, I don't know if I'm that, be- that great of a choice because, you know, look at my track record. I keep falling. I keep making mistakes. No, listen, it's not about your performance. It's about your obedience. Go back to confessing your sins and following after the Lord and let him work in your life. And then you say, Lord, I can't do these things. I can't overcome sin. I can't have victory. And he says, I have the victory. I've already paid the price. You don't have to worry about doing because it's already done. Let me do that work in your life. The wisdom of God that flows through us when we need wisdom. Now not only are we exemplifying that it's the wisdom of God that is, 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 is demonstrated in our lives because we're following Him, but it's the wisdom of God working through us when we need answers. And then James it says, if you lack wisdom, ask of God and He gives it to you liberally. And without reproach, it will be given to you. So now the wisdom of God is given to you when you ask, Lord, what do I do? How do I handle this? But not only that, it says that we're in the righteousness of Jesus. It says, you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness. Now, if we had to remain in our own righteousness, we would be in a very bad spot. Very bad. You know, today, we are very familiar with the fact that you ask people how you get to heaven. They say, well, you you have to be a good person. It's self-righteousness. And it's in a person's own efforts where they think I'm good enough to make it to heaven. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, but we are all like an unclean thing. And all our righteousness is like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So our own righteousness doesn't make the cut. Our own wisdom, our own might, not wise enough, not strong enough, not good enough. Next we see Jesus became... That sanctification. Jesus is what sets us apart from our sin. 
And being set apart from our sin is what sets us apart from the world. Because when I have faith in Jesus, my sin, all the wrong things that you have ever done are separated from you. They're no longer attached to you. And when you are no longer attached to your sin and you're desiring to live holy and righteous before the Lord, then that separates you from the world's way of life. You are now set apart by your actions, which are based in following Jesus, the sanctification. First from our sin. Mankind cannot sanctify itself. Sanctification is the work of God. Secondly, we're set apart from the world. I love the fact that when you're in Jesus, your sin doesn't stick to you anymore. Any accusations that come from the enemy, whom we know from the Scriptures as Satan, to condemn and accuse, hey, that's not going to stick. You know, that's not going to hold any weight. That person's been forgiven, and they have faith in Jesus. The next thing we see from verse 30 is redemption. Mankind cannot redeem himself. Redemption is the work of God alone. Before Jesus, we're enslaved to sin. We can never earn our way out. We can never buy our way out of it because that's who we were. We were born that way. We were born with a propensity to sin. So the issue is a sinful nature. But Jesus became our redemption. He redeemed us. He paid the price that we were paying for our sin. He paid it so that we wouldn't have to pay it. I mean, think about being majorly in debt. You know, major, the credit cards, you name it, and you're just getting buried in debt and you could never pay your way out and someone pays it for you. Take that concept, which may make some of us a little jittery this morning, and then magnify that times 10 billion to the, just infinity, and that's sin. And that's what Jesus did. He redeemed us. He bought us. Paid the price for our sin. 1 Corinthians 6.20, we'll get there in a few months, but it says, For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Who gets all the glory? It's the Lord. When I live my life, not for my own pleasures and for my own glory, but I live my life to the glory of God, I do beyond what I'm able to do. I'm able to step across those things that used to hold me back and used to keep me confined into a certain way of life. I'm able to be victorious. I'm able to grow. I'm able to step out in faith and see the Lord do great things. You know, if we think, hey, I got this, man. This is totally me. I can totally take care of this. And we're not relying on the Lord. We're being prideful. And the Bible says that a haughty spirit goes before destruction. We don't want to be on that end. We want to be on the end where we say, Lord, I need you. I need your grace. I need your strength. So, where is he who glories in his wisdom? Or in his might? Or in his position? You know, our third point was, It's all about God's glory. But our wisdom is from the Lord. Our might is from the Lord. And our nobility, meaning where we are now citizens of the kingdom of heaven, is from the Lord. In verse 31, as we conclude our service, our teaching this morning, it says, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So if you go all the way back to what we've been looking at, it's not performance-based. It's not about your ability. 
It's not about my ability. It's about God's ability. What He does, and He takes the foolish and the weak and, and those that don't think they have a chance, and He uses them in a mighty way. Why? Well, so that He might receive all the glory for what He alone can do. And when you're in that place, and maybe you're here this morning and you feel broken, or you feel like, man, I'm, my tank's running low. I'm empty. I don't know what to do. Let the Lord fill, fill you up. Let the Lord strengthen you. Some of you might have come into this place today discouraged or maybe even depressed. Maybe you're just downhearted because of maybe sin in your life or a situation that's just beating you down. Let the Lord show himself strong on your behalf. Let the Lord help you. You walk in the Spirit. You be responsible for you and your own actions. Stop worrying about other people's actions. Do what you need to do. Seek the Lord. Draw near to Him. And it says, let he who glories, glory in the Lord. He's actually taking this from Jeremiah 9. It's verses 23 and 24 where he says, um, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let he who glories glory in this, that I am the Lord, exercising judgment and loving kindness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. This is what Paul's quoting from the Old Testament book of Jeremiah. Chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let he who glories glory in the Lord. And what? Not in your wisdom. There's always somebody that's wiser. Not in your might. There's always somebody that's stronger. Not in your possessions because there's always more to have. And they can be taken away for that matter too. But he says, let he who glories, you want to glory in something? Glory in the fact that you understand and you know the Lord. And that you know what he's capable of. And you know what he's done for you. And what he will do for you in the future. And as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in this house today. We've entered your courts with praise. We have studied your word. And Lord, we ask that you would now help us to apply these things to our lives. Lord, I ask that you would help us, Lord, not to be hearers of your word only, but doers also. Lord, I pray that this church would be a church that's filled with your Holy Spirit that's filled with men and women that have a desire, Lord, to pursue righteousness, to pursue holiness, to pursue love. And I ask, God, that you would help us to be those men and women that you've created us to be. Lord, help us, Lord, to rely on you in all things. Lord, help us to even be reminded this morning that our calling is not performance-based. Lord, often... You allow the performance to be abased so that we might see how much we need you. And so, Lord, may we not focus on our abilities, but may we focus on your ability and may we give you all the glory for the great things that you have done. And Lord, we ask that these things would sink deep into our hearts like a seed that's planted. May it bear much good fruit. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people say, amen. Amen.